welcome to Cozy Chat. Thank you for getting cozy with us. I'm Sasha Fountain. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Hi, my name is Maxine, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Hey, everyone. My name is Corey, and my pronouns are he, him, his. So this week, we're getting into two topics that have been pretty relevant as of late. We're going to talk about non-monogamy and critical race theory. Yes, but before we get into that, uh, just, you know, we always like to do just a quick check-in with everyone to see how everyone's doing. So, you know, how was everyone's week? How are you guys? My week has been pretty tiring, as you can tell from my voice. Um, I have just been overloaded with a bunch of opportunities that's just come up for me. Um, I just got a lead part, not just, but I got the lead role for a play called Marry Me. And um, I've just been busy trying to memorize lines <laughs> as a lead actress. Um, and then uh, what else? I've also been hired to film the production for them, two productions for them as well, underneath my production company. And um, I've also been hired to gaff and stuff. So opportunities as far as like career-wise have mm-hmm. been opening up and they've been new. And um, it's definitely been overwhelming and exciting. Um, and it's a lot of responsibilities. Um, also even socially, um, not so much opportunities, but like I'm doing things like dating again, um, what you call it. And um, yeah, just balancing everything from dating to working to, you know, trying to build my career has just been a challenge these past couple of weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's been good. I, I feel good for the most part. I know I don't sound it because I sound tired as fuck, but yeah, it's been good. <laughs> That's good. I'm just excited. My finals are finally over. So my life is going back to chill mode. It's been very hectic up until this point, but my last final was yesterday. So I'm feeling good. Nice. Awesome. Um, it's been it's been a little crazy, but also very normal crazy for me. So mostly, you know, work and uh, I was just you know gaffing for a, a web series, which hopefully will be dropping this fall on, I believe, Oak TV. You know, which is a pretty upcoming like black uh digital network so i'm not sure how much i can really talk about that so i'll just leave it at that for now and if i could talk about it more i'll probably bring it up again in the future uh but yeah kind of similar with you know maxine i just you know been doing a lot of uh, projects lately whether people need me to gaff or photograph or you know, editing, along with, you know, my regular nine to five job, and then uh, in the process of like moving and everything, the wildness that that can bring. So it's been a pretty wild and shifty last few weeks, but 
for the most part, everything is going pretty well. So I can't really complain about much. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of uh, new things. So, you know, that's pretty good. So a lot of new beginnings for everyone. Yeah. It is a new year. Um, <laughs> a new year. Um, past the whole COVID-19. Yes. Doing so all the I'm, things we couldn't do 2020. Exactly. It's exciting to hear that we're all like doing different things or at least like getting the opportunity to relax without too much worry. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really nice. Yeah. I like that we're all doing things. <laughs> yes. You know, but, you know, getting into our topics for today, Maxine, you recently had a very interesting uh, opportunity and experience within a lot lately. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that was about? Oh, yeah. Um, I almost forgot. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Um, so I applied for the grapevine to get on the grapevine, and they had me on their episode for critical race theory. And um, it was definitely um, not what I expected, but it was mm -hmm. a very interesting um, conversation. So, so um, for yeah. the listeners who don't know what the grapevine is, uh, what is grapevine? Oh, yes. Yeah. So grapevine TV is um, a YouTube series that's been for like three to four years that um, really talks about things that affect black people, like with a usually as a panel discussion. Um, so they have a host um, and then they usually gather like anywhere from like eight to 12 people to discuss a certain topic. So, so for example, um, black love, black gatekeepers, um, critical race theory, um, you know, the presidency. So it could range from politics to romance, but it usually is topics that surround black culture, black people, and things that affect black people. Um, but yeah, in this episode in particular, it was talking about critical race theory. Um, where you know we went in and discussed um is critical race theory something we should implement in the curriculum um will how will it affect students um why is there pushback and things of that nature and stuff um but yeah uh critical race theory that topic brought out a lot of um uh, interesting other interesting discussions um as, alongside it um so for example um there was this individual on the grapevine who made a comment and i believe she said from my what i remember is um systemic racism isn't real and uh, as soon as she said that she's a black woman need i remind you but um as soon as she said that it triggered everybody on the discussion to go in on her and what the comment that she made and so it kind of like went from critical race theory to addressing that issue of believing that systemic racism is not real then it went back um eventually to the topic of critical race theory briefly and stuff but it was definitely an interesting experience if i may say so for the listeners who don't know what critical race theory is 
very, this is going to be like a very brief and kind of summarized definition, but basically critical race theory is this idea about examining law and systems and how race plays a factor in all the different aspects of how America functions as a country. We were discussing like the legal system, we were discussing how you know, laws and politics, you know, are made and implemented and policies and stuff like that. So it's kind of taking the idea that when we are creating laws or we're creating policies, that race is something that should be taken into consideration, or at the very least, race is something is always impacted, you know, whether it was intended to to have a certain type of impact on a particular race or not, right? Um, so particularly when we're talking about, say, you know, laws and policies and how they affect black people, right? Think about like the war on drugs, think about Jim Crow, think about, you know, all the different laws and systems that were put in place specifically to harm the black community right? And kind of reconciling that and being like, hey, having like a, putting an honest like mirror to, and I'm just keeping this to the United States because that's where we're located, but putting up an honest mirror to the United States and saying like, hey, everything that the United States is built on, all of the different policies and laws that this country is founded on, you know, uh, race has impacted all of these things and how race has impacted all of these things. Hopefully that's a very concise defi yeah. definition, so. Yeah. Um, I, like the way I understood it, it was like, you know, um, it was again, like the, that concept was uh, discovered by like lawyers and stuff in like the 1960s, 70s, as you said. And um, they were like basically going in on the law and saying like black people are not included when we're talking about law. You know what I mean? Like that every law that is created and built is not beneficial for black people. It's not considering black people at all. And, you know, at first it used to be the strong, the strong um, ideology that was basically about how black people are not um, in the incorporated in the law systems and stuff. And then eventually it got watered down to, and by watered down, I don't mean it as a disrespect, but it got watered down to include like all races, all people of color, but it was specifically supposed to be about black people, you know, and how like everything in this country, it, you know, when it comes to this, the law systems, it is not built or created considering black people. And also take the account that, um, what should we call it, you know, putting that honest mirror to America saying like, y'all fucked up. You know, <laughs> y'all fucked up when it comes to black people, you know, but now it's just incorporating all races of people uh, and not to say against, but like in, you know, in the discussion of race. For me, like I agreed with like some of the people who were saying like it shouldn't even be called a theory because to say it's a theory is to say like we're theorizing that it happened to black people, that race happened to black people. Like, no, racism is fact okay it's factually happened it's factually happening now that there is racism when it comes to you know all races but in particular we're talking about black people um 
and um you know that that is very real so it shouldn't even be called critical race theory it should be called something like critical race fact because it was a fact that you know america you know abused and used black people to build everything that they have now you know and um something that i agree with too is you know um everyone made their points and something that i agreed with on like the conservative side was that okay well who is the one regulating it who's the one teaching and making sure that you know their black child is not feeling inferior or their white child is not feeling like a monster and you know it's not to and this is the problem that i had with when it came to like when she was talking about the white child is because no one ever is considerate of the fact that black children already feel this way whenever in our current history books when we're talking about how white people came in and like our slavery like when wherever we're talking about slavery it's like a page and like a little small text of like how slavery was there and how like um you know it was a real thing in america but then let's go back to how american people white american people are heroes in every aspect of history no one talks about how black children are feeling inferior for seeing those things in their history books now yet when it comes to telling people the truth about racism about what really happened what really went down how white people are not the heroes at least their ancestors are not the heroes and the one the oppressors and the villains in the story now we want to care about how white kids feel you know and all children shouldn't have to go through this race dynamics that we have but it's reality you know and the reality is you know black children have been sold a false narrative about themselves and not to say this is tit for tat but I do think white children need to understand and learn that your ancestors fucked up and y'all not the heroes. Um, and please don't grow up feeling entitled um, or feeling like you are the heroes. You know, um, it's just the truth. Like we never question it when it comes to math. Like, oh, this is the real way to do math. But yet we want to question it, you know, when it comes to factual points in history, you know. One of the things I noticed about critical race theory is that so we always talk about white supremacy and how like critical race theory kind of tells us that white supremacy exists and it maintains its power through our legal system. So all these institutions we have are stacked against black people and in the very like innards of what's going on, it's meant for white people. Like never have we said like none of these laws, none of this stuff was meant for us. Like we were three firsts of a person. Like all this stuff was just meant for the colonizers, the oppressors. They didn't take into account black people, they didn't take into account indigenous people, any other people other than themselves in these laws that they made and in these procedures that they put in place, like even in gynecology, like all these, like the Tuskegee experiments, like all these things have been just stacked against people of color, like the Puerto Rican women who were used for birth control pills and all that other stuff mm. is something that we don't learn. And even now, like this whole critical race theory, like monster that politicians are going after is not even really critical race theory it's 
just people just teaching kids the facts now is equated to critical race theory and now it's equated to we're trying to ruin children's lives and as maxine was saying like they're caring just about white children don't care about any child of color especially black children yeah and kind of like you were saying critical the this when people start talking about critical race theory, they're not really talking about critical race theory specifically. They're just talking about, you know, race in general. So when a lot of conservatives and Republicans talk about not wanting to teach critical race theory in schools, you know, they're using the term critical race theory, but what they're actually saying is, we don't want to talk about race period in schools. We don't want to talk about you know, racism, we don't want to talk about slavery. Think about all the times, you know, in either the news or on social media where we hear like, you know, it's particularly in like a Southern state where the textbooks have misclassified slaves as like indentured servants, or they try to use some other term to try to pretty up history and make it seem like, you know, slaves were just free workers who came and they did work and you know they led a decent life with the masters kind of paying for their living and stuff like that you know they're trying to change and whitewash and water down the history of slavery in this country and that's kind of what we're talking about when we need to talk about whether or not critical race theory should be taught in school also i think there is particularly when it comes to like more black conservatives, there's this misconception that when you start talking about critical race theory or more specifically when you're talking about white supremacy, that you're talking about white people, that you're putting forward the idea that white people are superior to black people and that you're teaching black children to feel inferior to white children, which is entirely not the case, right? White supremacy is a concept and an ideal and a system that was created and is maintained by white people. White people created the narrative, you know, manifest destiny, divine right. These are topics we learned in our history, history classes, right? White people created the narrative that they were the superior race, that they had the superior culture, you know, that they had the superior society, and that they had, you know, the divine right from God to rule the world. And that idea is what led them to colonize pretty much nearly every other country and region on the planet. It, it also allowed them to justify in their minds you know, the capture and enslavement of Africans to bring to the Americas as slaves. It also what justified them in the near extinction and eradication of the indigenous people of this country, you know, the decimation of all the different indigenous, indigenous nations that were here before, you know, the United States existed, right? So, when we're talking about white supremacy, we're not teaching black children that, oh, you should feel inferior to white people or that white people are inherently better than black people. No, right? What we're talking about is that the systems as they are designed 
were designed by white people who think they are better than other than the rest of us. Is that true? No. But you need to understand, right, that when you're interacting with these systems, sometimes these systems are going to be incredibly unfair. Sometimes these systems are going to force you to have to work harder, you know, and, you know, go out of your way to try to work around different obstacles that you wouldn't have to work around if you were white because those obstacles were put in place by white people to try to trip us up and to keep us from succeeding. That doesn't mean we can't succeed, right? But it does mean that less of us will succeed. And even for those of us who do succeed, it is a much harder uphill fight to get to that success. However, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that black children are less capable, doesn't mean that black children should feel inferior to white people. It's just saying these are the facts of the system and how it works, right? And making sure that they're prepared, you know, mentally when, you know, they come in contact with these systems and, you know, they start facing the full brunt of racism when they inevitably grow up, right? Not to say that children don't face racism even as children, yeah. but you want to make sure yeah. that they are prepared and they're not just, you know, blindsided by some sort of like, <laughs> racially charged altercation and they have no idea what's what's up and what's going on they can immediately identify okay i know what's going on this is happening because of this right and it can inform their judgment so they can navigate accordingly yeah and who's to say that yeah the current way that we're building our curriculums right but who's to say that it's not already scaring black children because the ideology that the conservatives had on the panel was that you know the children are going to feel inferior well who's to say is they're not already feeling that right now you know white people always won wars <laughs> white people just happen to colonize everything like a, you don't think a child already feels that internal racism you know mm -hmm. um and um what you call it what else was i gonna say so you know with critical race theory is just as you said, Corey, is just putting the mirror to their face, you know, and it's preparing black children, you know, it's still going to scare black children, these systems. But again, we have to make sure it's who is regulating that, who's monitoring that, you know, and something that I like that one of the conservatives said was, um, why don't we try to use like, let, because we were talking about reparations at one point. And so she was trying to like, be snappy back at the liberals and so she was like well how come you liberals never even consider like you know asking for reparations and using the reparations to build our own hbcus for k-12 you know i was like hmm, th that is a nice concept and she was like why no instead of like trying to rebuild and rehabilitate these white supremacist schools that are k-12 why don't we create our own black empowered schools and so i was like you're, you're getting somewhere with that. Like, that sounds like a really nice idea and stuff like that. Um, I just think the issue, regardless whether it's black or white schools, it still needs the truth in both, you know, um, because you could have your black, you know, centered schools, K through 12, but when they go out in the real world, they're going to face a really white world, whitewashed world, you know, so you have to prepare them for both worlds, you know, um, 
yes, it's important for us to empower Black children, show them Black history, and make it mandatory, not an elective, to have African studies, Caribbean studies, and all types of studies of how all colored people from all nations did have reign, did have power, you know, to show all children that, yes, we had power, and we also need to face the facts of, you know, what happened you know, um, and how all of our power was stripped from us by our oppressors, our colonizers, you know, um, what else? So if we're doing like the whole black school, yes, that's so cool. But again, we still need these white supremacist type schools, you know, to have the real facts so that their white kids are not growing up thinking that I am a hero. Oh, I have the power like a narcissist, like a narcissist. No, like they're both getting the truth and they're both being empowered. Um, white people being empowered in the truth and knowing like, let's not repeat this, you know, dirty, you know, and shameful history again. And then for Black children to know like you have the power, you, you should feel empowered. And we are in a new progressive state and we will continue to progress um, each and every day, you know? Yeah, I always have an issue when people bring up, oh, why don't we just, number one, I think that people misuse the term reparations too often, right? Even some black people who are well-meaning, you know, reparations isn't just, you know, why don't they just give us some money and we do something with money, right? Reparations is a lot more than that. But, you know, not even getting into that aspect of it, but this idea that, oh, all we need to do is just build our own schools and everything will be fine. First mm -hmm. of all, that kind of erases the fact that black charter schools exist, black Montessori schools exist, black daycares exist, right? The public schools in our black communities are predominantly black public schools with predominantly black faculty, predominantly black, stu black students and people of color students, you know, and a usually a predominantly black, you know, administration as well. And it doesn't matter whether you are a public school, and it doesn't matter if you're a privately funded school, right? There is still a certain criteria and expectation, you know, of you as an educational institution, right? Whether you are gaining money directly from the government or not, there are still standards that you have to meet there are still expectations of what students should be learning, right? It's very easy to say, oh, why don't we just, but those things already exist. And what are we teaching our students in those institutions that already exist, right? Even outside of the public school system, right? Whether it's the charter schools or it's the Montessori schools, you know, even starting as young as like daycare, we are still relatively teaching our students you know, using similar curriculums to what is being taught in our public schools, right? And mm -hmm. also the public school system is important, particularly for low-income low income families, which is directly impacts, you know, Black communities. So this idea that, oh, if we just make our own things, you know, then we don't have to adhere to... Uh, these other standards as set forth by the Department of Education is false. 
And again, it ignores the fact that we already have institutions, private institutions, you know, outside the, you know, direct oversight of the Department of Education. Again, they're generally learning the same similar things to what's being taught to our students in the public schools. Yeah. Right. So when we talk about whether critical race theory should be taught in schools or shouldn't be taught in schools, we should be talking about, we're talking about all of it. We're not just talking about public school systems, but we're also talking about the private school systems that we already have. Honestly, with the whole concept of having your own school, it takes me back, like, it takes me back to, my dad grew up in post-World War II South. So, he went to a black school like he didn't have integrated whatever he walked my a couple of miles to a black only school where they got the worst books not to say if you made your own like hbcu type of school the kids are going to get the worst books but like we became integrated for a reason because like there's no way you can live in this country as diverse as it is and just shelter yourself off as a certain type of school like hbcus do their job like of course there was in like black people were not allowed to go to these higher like pwi institutions so hbcus came and filled that gap not everybody can choose to go to a hbcu kind of school that takes money like there it's a I would say it's a privilege to go to a HBCU kind of institution. Like I couldn't afford that. And I feel like when it comes to HBCUs, sometimes I get a little annoyed because they act like they're the hot, hottest shit in the world. And I'm like, not everybody else could afford to go to where you went. Not everybody else can afford these privileges of living on campus, going away, like, Maybe it's because I stayed at home and I went to a commuter school, but it just, that always frustrates me. It's like, just because you went to a certain institution doesn't make you better than Black people who did not go to that kind of institution. But that's besides the point. You just kind of got me on a roll with HBCUs. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, right? But it's this idea that if we just, you know, remove ourselves from the public school system, that it'll fix everything. But, you know, we already, we already have, we already have our own private institutions. Those things do exist, right? And kind of like you're saying, not every parent can afford to send their kid to a private school. You know, these things cost money. Even the ones we have now cost money. Not every parent can afford to send their child to a charter school. Not every parent can afford to send their child to a private school. And for those who can, and for those who are able to go to those schools, again, recognize that that is a privilege you have, but not everyone has access to that. So for, so when you say, oh, you know, just give us, again, people use the word reparations wrong, but oh, just give us our reparations, we'll make our own schools and stuff like that, it kind of ignores the fact that you'll still have a large population of black students who will be in the public school system. So you're just saying, fuck those students, and you know, you're only gonna care about the students that go to your privately you know, funded 
black schools. So to make sure that we are, when we're talking about education and we're talking about how we should be, you know, how our children should be educated, right? That we don't just jump on to the bandwagon of, oh, just send them to a private school. Oh, just send them to an all black, you know, institution that is not a public school, right? Yeah, no, I totally understand when you guys made that point and stuff. Um, that is so true. We already have those things in place. So it's more so about what is being taught, how it's being regulated, what we're teaching our kids, yeah, you know? I could totally um, agree with that. Yeah, yeah like, that. you know, like, um, and that's the point that I made on that grapevine is like the concern that I hear heard from both sides was like, who is regulating the the curriculum if we were to incorporate critical race theory is it going to be some white racist person regulating that because okay the fact that i already said a white racist person y'all already know how it's going to go down you know like, mm -hmm. they're not going to teach it properly they're going to probably brush it off or be like okay just put any answer and take it as an extra credit you yeah. know um they're not going to take it as seriously and as carefully as it needs to be taken and like, even if they're like a white liberal right because even white yeah. liberals in education, depending on how much they have been exposed to certain things, when they try to teach, you know, about race and racism and stuff like that, it can, they, it can come off very improper, it can come off very white savior. So again, I, I agree with, I also agree with the fact that while I believe critical race theory should be taught in schools, right? You know, um, and when I say critical race theory, I mean like the discussion of how, of how the United States legal system and policies, you know, are affected by race and how they don't take race into consideration, you know, how different racial groups can be impacted by even the most simple policies and how when we are discussing you know, changes that should be made for the betterment of the country, how are we looking, making sure that we are being mindful of all the different, you know, cultures and ethnic groups and, you know, racial groups within who will be impacted by these policies and how they'll impact each group differently, right? Yeah. Um, again, because I feel like when people talk about critical race theory now and whether they want to be taught or not taught, they're not talking about critical race theory as it's strictly defined. They're just talking about, oh, we don't want to talk about race, period. Because, you know, talking about race makes white, always makes white people uncomfortable and white guilt. And they don't want to face, face the reality of what they've done. They just kind of want to sweep it under a rug and be like, we just don't want to talk about it anymore. Right? So. Yep when it comes to you know educational institutions who is teaching it and how they're teaching it is very important as well because you can have you know a white person who's teaching the class and it's just teaching it in a way that belittles all of the black students and all of the other students of color in the classroom on both sides of the aisle, I can see how people can have concerns about who's teaching it and how it's being taught. But I think 
that should be discussion. The discussion shouldn't be whether it's taught in schools or not. It should be taught in schools. But the discussion should be, okay, so how should it be taught? What the, should, should the curriculum look like? You know, like those type of questions should be the discussion that we're having, right? We shouldn't be talking about whether racism exists systematically within the United States or whether uh, critical race theory should be taught in schools or not. Yeah, I totally agree because um, even with the black person, what you're saying, like possible the, the white kids too, but you have white puppets, I'm not white puppets, black puppets who are just like, you know, like the black conservatives who are saying like, oh, there is no systemic racism, it's been a lie and stuff like that. Because sometimes that does happen too where black people don't know their real history, you know, and they just brush it off. What needs to be done, it needs to be like... Um, with critical race theory, I feel like it needs to be something that's specialized. You know what I mean? Like like a certified person who can teach it and like they come into every school, like it's like its own separate thing. They come into every school and teach it. You know how like, you know, in school, like it was a separate thing, like for art class, music class, things like that. And you know, you would have the art teacher come into the classroom, teach you art for like a couple minutes and then go leave. It should be something like that. Whereas like critical race theory, this is somebody certified to teach it and they come in, they teach the students, and then they leave, you know, each day. And then the students, it's mandatory for them to pass it because they need to know their history. And not pass it, like, just throw A on it, but, like, you need to know exactly what you've been taught, you know, um, with, like, some testing or something, you know. But I feel like that's how the approach should be, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a mandatory class. Then somebody comes into, was certified to teach it, comes to you, and they leave as part of like a certified thing that they have. So it could be like a regular teacher, but they have a certification of like, you know, diversity and inclusion, like that type of um, certification. But underneath that is critical race theory as a part of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that approach right now could be beneficial for kids. It shouldn't just be like something a teacher should have as a topic because we all had different teachers and all teachers like did not teach us well. You know, no matter the subject, there are teachers who are passionate about their things and there are some who are lazy as fuck. So it should not be relied on your average teacher. It should be a special, loca- a special, oh, special, no, a special, specialized. you know what I'm trying to say. I can't specialize. Thank you. teacher. Thank you. I could not thank you. You know, but yeah, I think that's how it should be approached as a good starting point, you know, because not everybody's going to be on the bandwagon but it should be something mandatory for sure. Yeah, I always side-eye the whole diversity and inclusion officer kind of thing. It's like all of these institutions have stated teams of diversity and inclusion for so many companies, and the diversity we get is more mediocre white people. Mm-hmm. So... Not to say that's related to the school thing. I just thought about diversity <laughs> inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel that. Um, but yeah, it should just be something that's, you know, separate from the school system and just a teacher comes into. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's the best way. Yeah. So critical race theory should definitely have be its own specialization. So whoever's teaching it should be like specialized in that. 
particular field. Area. The same way you have someone who specializes in mathematics, specialized in English, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, you definitely want someone who's just specialized in that and that's just like, oh, this is just something you just give to the history teacher or you give to the uh, English teacher and it's something they have to add to their curriculum. It should definitely be its own, you know, uh, class, its own kind of subject, kind of kind of like something adjacent to like political studies, right? That way you have a teacher or professor or whatever who can just kind of focus on that. And again, we could talk about how it should be taught, talk about, the, you know, those kind of specific and nuances, but the idea that it should just not be taught altogether is definitely something that I cannot get behind. And I don't think it should be even be a part of the discussion. And it should be changed from critical race theory to something that states that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they're just they're saying it's a theory. Like, no, it's not a theory. Yeah. It factually uh, happened. Yeah. I, so I agree with it still being called a theory. Mm-hmm. Um, just maybe it's just because of the way I've been educated in the fact that you create theories and then you prove them and it's like it's a theory that's been proven like it's not something that we can say like it was a failed hypothesis Um, yeah because i feel like there is no other way to, to address it other than in the way it has been created this movement of civil rights scholars and lawyers like creating this it's like talking about changing womanism to something else. Yeah. Or like um, feminist theory is no longer called feminist theory. Like, I mean, I, I, I guess I could see that as well. I guess, you know, on the one hand, I understand kind of like how what Maxine is saying as far as this isn't a theory. We aren't theorizing about whether or not systematic racism exists within the United States. It exists within the United States. Whether you want to deny it or not, it exists, right? It's been, we've, we've proved it enough, right? So it's no more theorizing about it. It's, this, is, this is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, as far as just like academia and stuff like that, you know, uh, I can see it, the term being used it's kind of similar to how we talk about, you know, the theory of relativity, you know, which is, which we've already kind of proven, like, time is relative and stuff like that. Like, like these have gone beyond just being theories, but just for the sake of, I guess, not knowing a better way to phrase it. Um, I mean, I guess it could be called critical race studies versus critical race theory. Um, and that would that, make more that would make more sense as well. Yeah, because for me, when you say theory, not everybody's going to think like that. Not everybody's going to think on that level of like saying like, you know, um, this is something to prove. Like a theory is something that you you the process of like proving it's a fact. Like not everybody's going to think that. They're going to think it's a theory. Oh, automatically. Oh, then it's not real. You know, that's just automatically what they're going to go to. You know, um, I believe like we can say that because we've been educated in that regard um but not everybody's mm-hmm. gonna jump automatically to believe that so you know just from first impressions 
I think calling it critical race studies, you know, would be more beneficial than to call it a theory because theory dismisses the actual um, story, the history that our ancestors went through, you know, um, it dismisses it by calling it a theory, you know, um, there's a dismissive tone when you put theory to it. Whereas if you put studies, it's like, this is something that you have to learn, you know, critical race theory is critical race studies is something that you have to learn. It is, you know what I mean? So like, it, it just has like a different feel, a different tone, a different seriousness when you call it a study you know, in comparison to theory. Yes. Because, like, I I watched the beginning of The Grapevine. I didn't finish it. But, um, like, I, I was, for me, it felt like critical race studies and critical race theory are not exactly the same thing. It feels like critical race studies can focus more on what the mirror and critical race theory is more of an academic thing. Like, critical race studies can be a product of the theory. Like, mm-hmm. we've all this theory has become the product of this is now this critical race studies com- curriculum. Like, I feel like that's the, the best evolution for it. And the way, like, I feel like critical race studies can also encompass more than just what the theory is made up of. Because the theory mm-hmm. is highly academic, highly legal. Mm-hmm. Like critical race studies can be used to kind of break it down, especially for younger children. Like this academic, highly academic language and highly academic theories are a little hard for like a five-year-old to grasp or a 10-year-old to grasp. So it's easier to use that studies, um, the umbrella of studies to get children especially into it. Okay. I think yeah. I can, I I think I can like get it's underneath the studies, yeah. Okay. Um so for the listeners, we are definitely going to be linking the original grapevine video in the description. And I really do hope you guys check it out because it is an amazing discussion. They do go a little bit more in depth into what is critical race. Uh, theory. I believe one of the panelists, Uchechi, gives a much better definition than I gave, right? Um, But I do think it is a discussion that you guys could check out, and we are going to be linking it in the description. So definitely feel free to check them out. So do you guys feel like just taking a quick break? Do you guys feel like breakish right about now? I feel a little breakage, just so I could get my a little bit. Okay, so we're going to be back after a quick break. All right. Uh, Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We are back from our little break. And we are going to be talking a little bit about non-monogamy. And by non-monogamy, we're talking about polyamory, we're talking about polygamy, we're talking, you know, dating multiple partners at the same time, or should you debate, date multiple partners, you know, open marriages. 
uh, this is going to be just an open book to all a discussion of all the different types of not all the different types we probably not going to touch on everything but in general you know different type of what relationships can look like when we don't focus so heavily on them being strictly monogamous mm. just to get like a tone for the room um how, how do you guys feel about non-monogamy in general either for your personal relationships or even for like you know just in general your how do you guys feel about it for me um i think non-monogamy is it sounds it's like romanticized mm-hmm. but people need to take into consideration um the reality of it you know um the reality is that you know for example in polyamory for um, relationships can you handle your partner being shared with somebody else like ideally it sounds like ooh free for all whatever let's have multiple partners but idealistic like that's idealistic in reality you might get jealous you might get possessive you might um have those feelings like i want that attention from my partner. um even when it comes to open marriages sounds it's romanticized but can you really handle you know bringing another partner into the dynamic of your relationship that you already built are they there for sexual pleasure or are they there for romantic pleasures are they there to just be like your friend toy like what is the dynamics you know people like it's been romantic it's being romanticized without consideration the realism behind non-monogamy like you need tough skin to be at least for me i you need tough skin to be in a polyamorous relationship because yes it's possible to love multiple people in different ways you don't have to just love your partner in one way yes that's possible we've seen it but it doesn't give the excuse for you to just go fuck the whole world you know or you know what i mean like that's yeah. how people are perceiving it it's like you get to just bring multiple partners and like you get to have multiple ty- you know twice the fun but mm-hmm. you have to consider that um you know, you're being shared or you, your partner is being shared that you don't even know if that partner is being shared with somebody, you know, like this, Mm. you have really honest, you have to have open communication. If one of you lies, that could be a risk to everybody, you know, because if you lie, STDs are real. Pregnancies could be real, you know, depending on what your lie is. So, or what your partner, the partner that you're probably having without telling your other partner that you know they might be lying about or maybe they don't even know like it the more people you put into it the dicier it can get and the more mm-hmm. strict it can get because now you have to be on a constant regulation of like if you guys are sexually active you have to be constantly regulating to make sure like okay everyone is clean as we are you know incorporating sexual activity into our dynamic with all these partners you know so i think polyamory open marriage they're romanticizing cool idealistically but there's a lot of realism that we have to look at there's a lot of tough skin that needs to be talked about that isn't talked about and the health um conditions too um needs to be taken into account as well Mm. Mm -hmm. when it comes like what i've been reading about it especially now like of course there's everything that maxine said but there's now this concept like personally to me it's kind of a foreign concept it's something that i personally wouldn't do but power to whoever wants to do it this whole concept of ethical non-monogamy which to me was like shouldn't 
non-monogamy be ethical in the first place but exactly um but this, people ain't shit so yeah this <laughs> ethical non-monogamy is just like okay so we're ethically making sure that the sounds like they're actually doing the communication the active like this is a consensus we're making decisions as a unit uh we agree to certain things but it also as maxine was saying can just leave you with egg on your face because i'm part of this um group on facebook and one of the women her and her partner had an open marriage but what she what she didn't realize is that she had told her partner we have an open marriage but there's this one friend of ours i do not want in this situation and the mm -hmm. partner did not give a shit still got with that person and totally violated the whole boundaries of this non-monogamy and now they're getting a divorce yeah. because like she they weren't able to get on the same page mm. and it's it's like it, it's cool to say oh i want to be non-monogamous i want to be a polyamorous person but as Rexine was saying, put it into the actual praxis is hard. Like seeing that a person who was having an open marriage, like you have to have those boundaries. If you don't put boundaries in there, things will just go off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with what you guys are saying. Um, I've had discussions with friends lots of times where we talk about you know, non-monogamous relationships versus monogamous relationships. And like Maxine says, I think they are romanticized. Um, before I get too much into that, I do, because we are throwing around a lot of words. And I don't know how well everyone in the audience kind of understands what non-monogamous relationships or at least the ones we're listing. So, so far the ones we're, we're talking about mainly, um, you know, open marriages, which is self-explanatory, is when you are married to each other, but, you know, your marriage is open to the fact that either partner is able to have sexual relations with someone outside of the marriage, you know? But there are kind of like, you know, what Maxine said, kind of like what Sasha said, there are boundaries within that. Um, poly polygamy which i think a lot of people particularly men are really into you know the idea of having more than one girlfriend more than one wife right um so it's usually where you have one central partner and then that one central partner has multiple partners right so again this is kind of like one big male fantasy we'll have one man and he'll have like you know two or three wives and they'll be like sister wives and stuff like that. Um, and then there's polyamory, uh, which is more, everyone is more, a little bit more free to have their own, to have different partners. So it's not like there's one main person and that one main person has different partners. It's no, we are together, but even though we're together, I may have this other girlfriend or this other boyfriend right? Mm -hmm. And then my partner may have these other people who they're also in relationships with. So it's almost like a network of people who are, I don't think, yeah, 
a, I'm going to say network for lack of a better term at the moment, but it's like a very small network of people who are in a relationship, mm-hmm. who are in an interconnected relationship. Again, not necessarily everyone is in a relationship with each other, you know, but it's more like, yeah, we, like we two are in a relationship, but then I do have this other boyfriend or whoever that I'm seeing and I have this other partner. So um, you can kind of think of it uh, a little bit more akin to an open marriage, except with polyamory, you're not net like, like there's no singular relationship that you necessarily have to hold as like your number one relationship, you know, with open marriage, you know, you're married and this is like, this is your main relationship. This is your core relationship and everything else is just kind of extra. Whereas in polyamory, you prioritize which relationships you feel are more important to you or less important to you, you know. Uh, But in all of those, there are still very specific boundaries that must be set by everyone who is participating in these different relationships. You know, kind of like what Sasha was saying when she mentioned like, you know, the wife in that open marriage was like, you know, we can do what we're doing, but, you know, I have this very hard line of like this one particular person who we both know, we both whatever, like she, like you can't have a relationship with her, mm-hmm. right? And the husband violated that boundary in the mm-hmm. same way uh, that if it was a monogamous relationship, you know, that monog- that, you know, Monogamous, hum- monogamous husband would have been having an affair with her best friend or something like that. They, it's akin to that, right? It's like, sure, they were in the open marriage and sure they had, you know, certain liberties to have relations with other people, but she had a very hard line of like, you can't be with this particular person. He violated that and as is violating the trust, violating the sanctity of you know, their agreement to each other, which it was their marriage, you know, the agreement they made to each other is even though this is open, the, there are these boundaries, he violated those boundaries, you know, so they're getting divorced. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that we all having a similar understanding of like what we're talking about as far as these different types of relationships. Sometimes it's not like that polygamy. It could just yeah. be like, you know, there's this one person and then like they, and this one person has two partners and they're okay with it. And then those two people, like you said, have a spiral network or sometimes it's just those three people in a relationship. And it's just like, a, I don't even know if you call it polygamy or like a well, tribe no, so that, relationship. So that, so that would be polyamory. That would be polyamory. Yeah. So the, when like he, so like, so polyamory is definitely becoming much more popular option for people, particularly because it's a lot more um, beneficial for women in relationships and stuff like that. Uh, because again, with polygamy, we tend to think more of, again, about some, some guy who has more than one girlfriend, more than one wife, whatever. Uh, not necessarily that it's restricted to being a guy. It could be a woman who has more than one boyfriend or husband or sexual partners, but it's pretty much all the partners in the relationship are partnered with one specific central person. Mm-hmm. Versus with polyamory, 
there's not like one such a person that connects all of these different relationships. You know, yeah. it's like each individual person has their own set amount of individual relationships and how they decide to prioritize, prioritize all those individual relationships in relation to each other is up to the individual person. So there's no like central, like this was the main core relationship and then it branches out from there. You know, maybe it can, but not necessarily. It could be a recipe for disaster for people who are immature. You know what yes. I mean? Like it has to be very clear. Cause like if one person just lies, it could fuck up everybody's life. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? There, it could be a, something as simple or easy as a divorce. Like, yeah, it's still hard, but the emotional stress, the, you know, um, the um, mental stress that will go on to the person who's getting the divorce, that, that's a hard toll to take on, you know? Or it could be something health-related where one person lies and, like, let's say, like, in that dynamic, that one person lied and stuff like that. Now, like, let's say that person that they stuck with, they had STD and they didn't tell them that they had STD. So now when they go back to their partner, that partner has STD without knowing that that person <laughs> fucked somebody that they weren't supposed to. You know what I mean? Because it was said out of lie. Like, it's, it's a re it could be a recipe for disaster for people who are not mature. Like, you have to be yeah. mature enough to be honest. You have to be mature enough to let go of people, even if, it, if it's your desire to be with that person. You have to be mature enough to report to somebody on who you're having sex with. You have to be responsible and mature enough to constantly go to the clinic and make sure you're clean. You have to be responsible enough to face some hard truths about people. You know, um, sometimes with po um, polyamory and polygamy, like sometimes it's not even sexual. Sometimes like they just want somebody on a more intimate level to like mm -hmm. cuddle, stuff like that. So there's another concept like it's always sexual, which is not true. Sometimes it's just like, I, this is the particular friend where like we probably like make out and cuddle and stuff like that and then i have like my relationship dynamic with my partner and stuff like that where i'm sexual with them you know but even with that there are kissing diseases that you have to be careful of like <laughs> that's my concern with polyamory it's like that you have to be so trusting and that person needs to earn that and for me i don't trust people like that you know yeah. um and it, it could get so dicey. It really could get dicey. Like, one person could just lie and fuck mm -hmm. up everybody's life. Like, really have to be sure and responsible to handle something like that. Because that's a whole other ballgame. And that's why, like, there are people who are monogamous and choose it because it's simple. Like, it's just one person. And, you know, like, if that one person lies, there's divorce, there's this, there's that. You know what I mean? Or, like, you could trace it back to, like, you know, I've never been with anybody else. It was just you I've been with and now I got this. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. when you have multiple partners, it's like, you don't know who you got it from <laughs> and you don't mm -hmm. know where it came from because you don't know who they're fucking. Because they could tell you like, oh yeah. Or, you know, you don't know who they're like intimate with in that way because they could be like, yeah, I only have one partner, but they probably have like 12 partners that they're talking to, making out, sleeping with and all the stuff. But all you know is that one partner. So it could be a recipe for disaster if you're not careful, you know? Yeah. One thing that I find interesting, especially the way it's been framed, we see a lot, like there's a prevalence of like white people represented in these like stories about polyamory, like anything we see on TV or in the news about polyamory, it's like almost always it's a white face attached. Mm -hmm. Like I've honestly seen on the internet, like one example of a one like 
poly polyamorous yeah polyamorous black couple other than that it's been mostly white like and I, I know that's not the case but it's just like another example of how our society prizes white experiences yeah so definitely definitely i remember i was having a uh discussion debate um with my best friend about this um because she kind of she was of the mind that poly like if society was more polyamorous there would be less affairs and cheating stuff like that um i was of the mind to disagree not necessarily because like i understand the logic that because everyone will be much a lot more free to have multiple partners, you know, honestly, that you have less reason to, for people, reasons for people to have affairs, right? But I think kind of getting into what Maxine was saying is that, and again, I think all the, all the issues that we're talking about right now, um, and I don't want to harp on the issues of like non-monogamous relationships, because these are all the same issues within monogamous relationships, right? So, and that's kind of my thing. All the issues that you find present in monogamous relationships, you're going to find in non-monogamous relationships, you know, infidelity and cheating and, you know, crossing boundaries. Those are usually done because the person who commits those acts, right? They had a lot more, they didn't have much respect for their partner's boundaries, right? They prioritize their own needs before the needs of their partner. Not even their needs. They prioritize their wants and desires over the health and wellness, both physical and mental, of their partner. Right? So you see that, you can find that in non-monogamous relationships as well. So like kind of what Maxine was getting on, where if you're in a relationship with more than one person, if you're in a poly polygamous relationship and you already have, you know, these two partners, that doesn't stop the person because, you know, there's also a thing of like power, a dynamic that goes into people who, you know, cheat a lot or like habitual cheaters and stuff like that. So now instead of breaking one heart, you're breaking two hearts or you're breaking three hearts. And now, you know, you're, you're damaging potentially just more people who were in a relationship with you. And it's like these relationships in general, whether they are monogamous or non-monogamous, only function with honest communication about what is expected within the relationship, right? Honest communication about how people are feeling within the relationship, right? And it also takes trust and loyalty right? The people, all the people who are with participating in whichever relationship it is, right? They have to be honest to themselves, honest to their partners, and they have to be willing to be, you know, loyal to those partners as far as respecting all those partners' boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. And if you find that you can't respect your partner's boundaries, then you shouldn't be with that person to begin with. Yeah. Right, because there's no point of you causing any mental and emotional harm to that person or potentially giving them a sickness 
because of your own individual selfishness, right? You don't need to be tied down to them. You can be single and just have different relations with different people without being in a relationship, monogamous or non-monogamous, right? Um, So I don't want us to focus too much on the negatives, you know, because again, I think these negatives can be found in all all relationships, right? And I think what Maxine was saying is that it's it more boundaries are more important in non-monogamous relationships because the amount of people impacted or potentially impacted is much greater. You know, so you have to be so you actually have to be more cautious. You have to be more honest. You have to be, you know, you have to be more diligent in non-monogamous relationships compared to monogamous relationships. Exactly. And also like what you were saying too about, you know, instead of being in a relationship, just continue dating. You know, be single and date. Like there's a thing called casual dating. Like continue dating until you find somebody that you could go more exclusive with. You know? Um, yes, you can you're not breaking hearts necessarily because people have this concept, even when it comes to dating, people have this weird concept like, you know, um, about casual dating like oh you're a player for like dating multiple people it's like no it's an interview okay like it's an interview process like that's where i'm at right now i'm casually dating you know mm-hmm. like interview i'm not going to just stick to one person just because i met you and you're the one person love of my life no i don't know like i have to get to know the nitty-gritties of you that are important to me in the first like maybe five dates if i don't have you know certain things set within those five dates about you that's important to me that i know you're not the one for me and you should be my friend or you should be something different you know but not the romantic partner i choose to you know actually be you know yeah Um, but people like i feel like i feel like people like to make an excuse like this is like an escape like this is like for some people not all it's like an excuse for the commitment commitment phobes you know, people who have issues with commitment, who haven't healed the areas of being a commitmentful, they gravitate more to polyamory, polygamy, open marriages, things like that, because they do not like the idea of staying committed to one person. Because as a generation, we have seen so many either failed marriages or marriages that should have been ended in divorce, but were forced to stay together because, you know, God wanted you know, us to not have divorce or somebody told you as a culture that, you know, divorce should be frowned upon, you know? Um, so we, you know, as a generation have grown up with, you know, spaces like that where failed marriages and, you know, divorces or, you know, marriages that were abusive and stuff like that. So a lot of us have commitment issues and that's why polyamory, polygamy, all these things are so eye candy for people because it's like, I don't have to stay committed to one person. If I want to dip my toes in this water, I can. And in that water, I can. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it gives more fun. And that's why the romantic part of these relationship dynamics, you know, these non-monogamous relationship is so cool for people because it's like, I don't have to like, you know, limit my love to just one person. And yeah. yes, it's, it could be like, it could be seen as a limit, but also, you know, you know, I not to say this is not to say like people who are in polyamory, polygamy, all these other relationships don't love each other 
I'm sure they do. They and they probably know. Like that's a beauty about polygamy and polyamory. When it's done right, is that people find creatively creative ways to love people, and they find ways to you know have different types of love and feel fulfilled with a different type of love. But the beauty about monogamy is that you could pour all that love energy into one person and like boost them with your crazy amount of love energy, you know, instead of splitting into so many people or like sharing it amongst so many people, you know. Um, and that's just my one concern. Like if people want to have like, you know, for the people who are commitment foes, if they just want a relationship where they can have the pie and the cake and the pastry and this and that, maybe you should go to casual dating. But before go to casual dating, find out your values and see how your values matches with the other people that you're dating until you find somebody that fits your best, you know, values and morals instead of like, okay, I like the way this person looks. So I'm going to be with this person and I like the values of this person. So I'm going to be with this person and that person, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's something that people need to really consider because it's romanticized right now. And something mm-hmm. that I always say to people is be careful of who is controlling the narrative, whether it's in the black community, where is in the LGBT community, where is in, romantic community be careful who is controlling the narrative who do you see like as sasha pointed out who do you see mostly representing this um new trend white people you know be careful of that you know um be careful who's controlling the narrative of how relationship dynamics should look like because that's not the case you know look into all different types and see which one best fits you you know yeah and i i want kind of kind of what you were saying I think people feel like somehow non-monogamy is like the antithesis of monogamy, right? But it's not really. It's kind of like you're monogamous just with multiple people, right? Mm. So it's like all the same levels of trust, the same level of communication, the same level of honesty that you would have with one person. You know, if you're in a non-monogamous relationship, you now need to have that same level of commitment and intimacy with multiple people. If yep. you have two two wives, uh, two girlfriends, whatever, you know, the same way you would need to be honest and communicate with just one of them, now you have to do that twofold. You need to be doubly, your communication skills need to be like double what they were before. You know, your level of, emotional intelligence needs to be solid and on point because now you're dealing with two people two individual people with two individual needs and wants and desires you know so it's not like so non-monogamy isn't the antithesis of monogamy because you're doing the exact same things you're doing with monogamy just with multiple people which means all those same levels of honesty and commitment and everything you're just doing that with multiple people yeah you know whether it's you know polygamy and or whether it's polyamory and you're juggling all these different relationships right but you still need to have open and honest communication with all of those relationships you know some you may prioritize some relationships as just for fun you may prioritize some relationships as more serious romantic relationships and then you have some which just may be purely emotional but you know they all require the same level of honest communication healthy communication and very clear boundaries between people 
Yeah. Yeah. And also what you call it, just to hop on that again. Um, even like we're talking about like sexual health things that, but even the emotional toll it takes on, you know, um, that's another thing too. Like, let's say like when you were making the point about, um, you know, this one could be strictly serious relationship, like a relationship that's strictly serious in a relationship where it's strictly emotional and another relationship where it's like, um, what you call it, a little bit more sexual and intimate, you know, like at the end of the day, what if like that person who desires, you know, more of, you know, who desires more than just fun, you know, a just fun dynamic, you know, it falls for you, you know, then what do you do? You mm-hmm. know, like what if, you know, the person that you're just having fun with catches feelings for you and stuff like that? Or what if they want more, but you can't give them more because you're in another relationship dynamic that, you know, has a boundary where, you know, you can't, give them more, you know, so like it gets, it could get complicated quick. Like I honestly feel like not everybody's meant for monogamy, which is why yeah. we see people really embracing non-monogamy at the moment like not even at the moment i'm pretty sure there was way more there was people doing it this whole time but it's been more of like a hot button topic recently it's been the it thing to talk about um Mm -hmm. so it i like i feel like from the worst we're all speaking from the perspective where we're monogamous people so it's hard to really act like really put ourselves in a place to really understand what non-monogamous people are getting out of these relationships that they're in the fulfillment the like the fulfillment the support the love Mm -hmm. like there's it's hard like we for us at least i'm gonna just assume we find that fulfillment and joy in like one person but for some people it literally it looks different like we i don't i'm not talking about people who are just like cheating up like using it to cheat but people who are actually committed to making it work mm-hmm. is different from just people using it as a hot button topic yeah yeah and I do think, oh, and I do think that kind of like what you said, you can love more than one person. Like we can love more than one people and we can love different people differently. And I think that is definitely something that non-monogamous relationships have over monogamous relationships. I feel like particularly with the way that monogamy is taught now, it is very restrictive, right? It is the way like the way monogamy is portrayed now. It's like you need to get all of your emotional needs, all of your your mental needs, all of your you know spiritual needs. Like you have to get so many of your needs met by this one singular person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your, your wife has to carry the burden of all your emotional needs. Your husband has to carry the burden of all of your emotional needs. And that is a lot to put on one person, right? Um, and also one person might not even be capable of handling 
all those different things yeah. to begin with, right? Yeah. Um, and that, and I would say that's like the way monogamy is taught because the way monogamy is taught is, you know, a lot of these different emotional needs could probably be fulfilled by other people, right? If you were taught, if you were taught how to keep healthy boundaries, you know, yeah. but instead we're not taught about keeping healthy boundaries. We're just taught, hey, this is your the person you decided to marry and this person is supposed to be your your therapist this is person is supposed to be your everything till death do you part and that can be a lot right but i think the benefit of uh, non-monogamous relationships is that you can have your needs your different needs met by different people right you can have one relationship or you know, like, let's go like polygamy, right? Um, you can have one wife who, you know, for everyone in within that collective, right? She, she's just really good with being the emotional support for people, right? But then you have another one who's just really good with being, you know, with helping in another aspect, whether it's like finance or something else, right? Or sometimes, like, there are just some things you can talk with one person about that you can't talk with another person about. Or maybe, you know, and this is kind of, you know, different people might feel differently about this, right? But, you know, you love, you love your one wife a lot, right? And you, like, you love them both equally, but maybe there are certain physical needs, sexual needs or whatever, that you know the one wife or the one i don't i don't want to limit this to wife but one husband the one partner in general right just one partner in general just can't keep up with right it's just like and then so now you have this other partner who can like help split the burden and share the burden amongst each other um and I think just in general, whether it's like emotional needs, sexual needs, right? Um, there's so much less of a burden put on one individual person within whatever your relationship is that it's less likely for one person to start feeling burnt out compared to like in a monogamous relationship, it's very easy for it's a fallen line where one person is just carrying all the like emotional burdens of the relationship. And then, you know, very quickly they start feeling very burnt out within that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, just to like go back to what Sasha said real quick. It's not so much that I'm in like into monogamy because it's just more so like I've just seen witness monogamous relationships. So like, it's just, because I grew up seeing a monogamous relationship, that's what, like, you know, that's why it sounds like I'm more into monogamy stuff. But re I, reality is, like, for me, I'm still, like, exploring that idea. <laughs> I know, Not it sounds it. like I'm, it sounds like I'm so monogamous and stuff. Yeah, it does. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm just, like, I know for me, like, I do need a romantic structure. 
you know, like for me, I'm not into things that don't have a romantic structure, like, you know, the FWBs, situationships, like that is so not me, you know, like when I love, I love hard, like that's the person I am. So for me, I can't put a limit on the amount of, you know, of love I could give a person, you know? So for me, I, I know for sure I would appreciate a romantic structure, whether it be polyamorous or monogamous and stuff. But I was, when I was saying all those opinions, it's just from um, just witnessing monogamous relationships all my life and um, also exploring that idea or trying to explore that idea where I got the whole, you know, issues with polygamy as well. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not strictly into monogamy, just for clarification. I guess for me, uh, I mean, I'm in a monogamous relationship, right? So I just have one partner. Um, But I'm not outside the realm of having a non-monogamous relationship. As far as like, you know, I'm not outside the possibility of a polygamous relationship either, right? If that was something that, you know, me and my partner wanted which we don't, so we're definitely not gonna have one, but you know, I'm not, I'm not outside the realm of possibility of having like, say, a polyamorous one. Well, a polyamorous one, I'm like more, a little bit more hesitant or iffy on, but. Polyamory. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not outside the realm of possibility of having a non-monogamous relationship, right? By the same time, I do, I'm going to keep in mind like a non-monogamous relationship isn't just this kind of open book thing where like now everyone gets to do what they want sort of thing exactly like on yeah. like you have on some level you have a lot more freedom to kind of just be yourself and kind of do fulfill your needs and get your needs met how you feel they need to be met which is yeah. a benefit right But at the same time, you know, there's still a level of like responsibility on your part and on the part of the other people who are interacting with you. You know, the same type of responsibility if you are just in a relationship with one person, like you have to take that same level of care into every every relationship. Yeah, and you need to be able to handle it, you know, because if you're that one person, you know, who wants to be polyamorous you know and just have multiple partners splitting the needs between multiple partners and stuff you have to take on that toll of splitting yourself into you know three people essentially you know like you know that person you go to emotional needs you have to be you know for example something as simple as texting people you know could get overwhelming if all three of your partners are texting you three different things you know like your emotional partner texting you like you know your usual hi how are you how was therapy or whatever, you know, the conversation goes. Then you have that one person where it's like, I have fun sex with you and stuff like that. Or I could have explorative sex with you. You're more fun that way and stuff. And then they're sending you like pics or whatever, or like having conversations in that regard. So like even something as simple as texting, you are split in three different ways because you're having three different types of conversations with your three different partners, you know, that you split into different needs, like my sexual needs, my emotional needs, my mental needs or whatever needs. You know, um, that's also something to consider as well. Yeah. yeah. 
in the point of like the texting thing, I feel like people who are casually dating still have that issue when they're oh, like yeah. trying to juggle. <laughs> that. Yeah, but I, I think I think it's really um, as far as monogamy and relationship in relation to like dating outside of like you know relate like strict relationships. Uh, I think if you're just in a dating phase, if you're just in the very early exploratory phase, you should be dating multiple people, or at least you should, if you should have the freedom, if that is your, your, your lane and your choice. Yeah. To date multiple people. Right. I think it's too easy for like too easy for people to kind of get caught up in the trap of like, I went on this one date with this one person. I kind of like them. So now I need to not look at any other options and focus on hyper focus on like exploring yeah. whether this person is a viable you know partner or not which you know particularly for i think it's the trap that gets put on women a lot right yes. but i think that everyone should be free to like especially when you're in the early parts and you're just talking with people you know, you should be feel feel free to date multiple people. It's like, yeah, I went on a dinner date with this one person, and then the very next day, I went on a dinner date with another person. Or it can even be like, I have two dates planned on the same night. I'm going to dinner with this person, and then I'm going um, salsa dancing with this person, right? Yeah. Um, mostly because I think that allows people allows you to interact with more more than one person and kind of get a kind of varied field of like what you like, what you don't like, you know, if this person is, and then it's much easier for like, if this one person isn't treating you right or living up to your expectations of what you potentially want in a romantic partner, you know, it's much easier to cut them off and then just start doing and focus on whatever you're doing with these other people, right? And eventually, again, if even if you want to be monogamous, right, you, you know, because you're now kind of playing the field and you're kind of like interacting with these multiple people, right, yeah. it becomes a thing where it's like, okay, I know what I want. Like, I know these people give me something that I want. This person gives me something that I want. And then all these people have just been like, you know, I've learned what I don't want in a partner out of them. As a monogamous person, you might run into the problem of like having, end up having sh strong feelings for multiple people and then having to come to like that choice for yourself. But I think, you know, hopefully your experiences will lead you to have at least a much more nuanced and educated choice as far as who you eventually want to choose. You know, and if you're non-monogamous and you're honest about your non-monogamy, mm -hmm. then that just opens you all to have potentially more than one very good and healthy relationship with these individual people. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that too, because I, I told you guys I'm casually dating. And you know how you said like, you know, um, when it comes to women, they're put like they're that ideology of like dating around is not put on us which it should like it should be dating around but we're told to like just pick one person and, and like see where it goes and stuff like that's the same concept with me like i'm dating um many people but 
you know, I'm automatically like by, you know, people that I've talked to, not people I've talked to, but like, um, like a friend of mine to says like, Oh, you a player. And I'm like, how am I a player, you know, for like dating and being honest that I'm dating around, you know, but it's mm -hmm. because I'm a woman and it's because, you know, like, it's not like, you know, seen or like, you know, expected of a woman to like be dating around, you know, mm -hmm. you're supposed to like got this date, stick to this one date and try to make it work with this one date. Yeah. If it was a guy in this dynamic, oh, you don't just stick to one girl. You got to, like, feel the fishes in the sea. Like, you got to go to multiple girls. You know what I mean? But, like, yeah. when it comes to like, oh, like, you a player. Like, you just play so many hearts. Like, come on. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. You know? Kind of what you mentioned. I think it's taught certain guys. They're taught to, you know, quote, unquote, fish around and date multiple people. I think they're taught it more in a little bit more of a toxic way where it's, like, yeah they're taught to do it in a way without care for the other person as an individual. Um, so when we talk about, you know, dating multiple people, again, it's still this, this sense of responsibility. Like, you know, if you're only going on like a first date with multiple people and stuff like that, you know, I don't think you need to be like, tell them your whole thing of like, yeah, I'm done. But, you know, if you know you're going to be, if after that first date, you feel like you're going to be going on more, on multiple dates with this person, then be honest, honest and upfront with them. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. So, you know, this isn't going to be. I do like you, and I want to be on another date with you. This isn't an exclusive, exclusive thing. Um, I am, you know, I I will be going out on dates with other people, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we want to see where this goes, to potentially whether it becomes exclusive or not then we can go on more dates. And if the person's cool with it, they're cool with it, right? I think people should have the op, people should be get, given the option to be like, you know what, uh, this is good for you, but this isn't good for me, so I'm just gonna bow out, you know? But, yeah. uh, so we should just be honest about that all around. Yeah, like I've, I've had the experience of telling people right off the bat, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. First day party by the end of the night or the end of the day, I'm telling them like, yeah, I'm casually dating or even a conversation I would tell them because like, I want you to know real quick what I'm about, you know, like, I don't want you getting your hopes up of me being your girlfriend or whatever by like the second day or you fantasizing about that when in actuality, look, this is what I'm doing. Or even when I'm talking to them, like in the talking phase where you're just talking, I would tell them like, this is what I'm doing before like actually go on a date. So they know like my expectations, like for me. I want you to know what I'm expecting right off the bat. If it doesn't align with you, why are we talking? Move on to the next. You know what I mean? Like, let's not wait for us to physically get dressed because I take a long time to dress for dates. Okay? <laughs> so let's not physically get ready for dates and dress for dates to go out to wherever you want to go on the date for you to wait and tell them, you know, and then have them be disappointed in you getting a sucky date. Like, here's everything you need to know in, like, that's important right now in the talking phase. Like, here's what's important. Like, I'm casually dating, I'm doing this and that. First date for me is like, okay, let's just have fun. Let's talk. Let's get to know one another to see if this is even going to be a second date. Then second date, start asking serious questions and see like, you know, where their head is at. Like, what is your goals? What's your romantic goals? Um, what you call, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Like, I will start asking questions by second date. If we get a third date, we could ask more detailed 
um, what you call it, questions until like gets to the point where we both are in the we are both in sync. Like if one of the three days, like between the first the talking phase and the third day, if we're not in sync, then I already know where to place you. Okay. Um, but uh, I guess in my life, because I don't want to let anyone go, but I already know where to place certain people. But I think like even talking about like casually dating, it should be talked sooner. Like if you're in the talking phase and you guys end up talking about like, oh, why are you, you know, dating or like, why are you this or whatever? Um, just mention it and share that information. So that way people know what to expect. Like, oh, okay. So you're looking for, this is your goal. You're still looking around. And, you know, I'll see, like, if it aligns with me, for me, like, you know, this is what I'm doing, and I'm doing the same thing. Or maybe it, it's not cool for that person. They're like, oh, you're doing that? You know what? I'd rather just be your friend because I think you're a cool person. And that, it saves time, you know, instead mm -hmm. of, like, waiting for the physical the physical dates to do that. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes so everyone if you're curious definitely try out non-monogamy you know you can you yeah, never know casual dating like this might we might have healthy relationships that way you never know yeah it might work out yeah but then there again there's some people who fantasize romanticize non-monogamy but they're definitely not built for it you know they don't have the maturity or the honesty for it like I said before, like, you know, non-monogamy is not the antithesis of monogamy, right? It's just another form of, re of a relationship, the same way monogamy is a form of relationship. So it needs to be treated, you know, in very similar ways. Um, sure. but, hope, but yeah, if more people were non-monogamous or if non-monogamy was much more acceptable in society, I think we would have a lot less issues in general. Yeah. I just think, yeah, all relationship dynamics needs to be, um, people need to be more open-minded because it's only a topic and trend because we have a label. But I'm telling you, our ancestors were just fucking <laughs> Yeah. Without a care, it's like, what is this word? Like, what, just like, you know, do what you want. <laughs> I feel like now we're such label whores, like, in today's world. Like, we want to put a label so much on ourselves, yet we want to be free. Like, that's a whole different topic, but, like, us just putting on so many labels, like, <laughs> I feel like that's why, like, it's so trending, because, like, mm -hmm. ooh, it's a new thing, but it's like, no, it's not a new thing. You just put a label on it, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and people just need to also look out just open minded to casual dating but you have to know what you want at the end of all no matter what you're doing dating this piece outside whatever you need to know yourself before you put yourself in that sea because it gets wild if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> you know yes. like you really need to be sure of yourself and know what you want and you need to be so what you want that you're not going to like be swayed by any anything else like this is what you want go for it you know, um, if you just want to have fun, go for it. If you just want a relationship, go for it. But you need to know that. And if you don't know that and you're just trying to, like, jump in there without knowing that, you are going to get tossed around like a ship in a storm. Like, you definitely need to know what you're doing, you know. 
um, because you're playing with people's emotions if you don't know what you're doing. That is a perfect point to end on. What do you guys think? Yes, it is. Yes, I think it's great. Yes. Oh my God, my energy picked up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that you got energized by the conversation because I think this is a, it is a good conversation. I think we will have to revisit it in the future. Um, I don't think we, we were able to give it as much breath as maybe we wanted to, but you know, the, the, this is a very complicated subject, right? Um, yeah. And I definitely love to have this conversation again with actual, with like uh, more people who are in non-monogamous relationships as far yeah. as, and we could talk about their experience with non-monogamous relationships. Um, but that, that's just mental notes for the future. But I think we had a great conversation, you guys. I think it was yeah, so good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yes. Another cozy chat episode. Yes, another one in the bags. And I'd like to thank all of our amazing listeners for joining us for this discussion. Right? You know, right now we're just kind of sitting here and talking amongst ourselves. And we love these discussions. And the reason we even have podcasts is because these are the type of discussions we were having amongst ourselves anyway. So we just decided to share them. But we do appreciate the fact that you did decide to tune in, right? Uh, so if you have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to drop us an email at cozychatpodcast at gmail.com or, you know, slide in our DMs at cozychatpod on Instagram and Twitter. That's right. Slide in our DMs. Yes. good one. <laughs> yes. Our DMs are kind of dry, so slide in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't really so, think of that before. Did you see what you just said? I didn't said realize I didn't realize what I said until I said it. All right. Well, you can always Well, you can always hit me up at Young Royalty 580 on Instagram and Twitter. Feel free uh, to message me your comments. Uh, don't slide in my DMs because, you know, I am not happily monogamous. Um, but, you know, feel free to hit me up for any other reason other than that. Um, I'm Maxine at, okay. I'm at Maxine underscore Antoine on Instagram. I'm Maxine. Wait, no, what am I? I'm MK Productions NJ on Facebook. And <laughs> you <laughs> don't slide in my DMs. Message me kindly in my DMs. I'm not. <laughs> oh, man. I'm Sasha. My Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are Sash underscore Marguerite. My DMs are closed. Cozy chat DMs are open. Yes, closed, <laughs> locked. Don't even try it. We are locked. <laughs> I delete all unusual DMs. That's right. Yes. But once again, thank you for joining us for this conversation. And we hope to see you next time. Bye.
Until next time, guys. Until next time, guys. Bye. 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 Deuces.